Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to Scratching the Surface, where we talk all things real. I'm excited to share my chats with like-minded people on all of my passions. Please subscribe and feel free to connect with me on my Instagram at Life Behind the Rainbow or on my Facebook page at We Rainbow Oils. I would love to hear your feedback, love and light to you all. Hello, hello. I am here with my lovely friends, Sophia and Valerie. I met them in a past job. Um, If you remember back to my first podcast, I was saying I was a family support worker in Belfast. So I've met the girls and we've kept in touch and we're still really good friends. You know, we still really share the same values about working with children, working with with that age group. So girls, do you want to just introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about what you're doing? Hi, I'm Sophia. I am originally from New York. And when I was in New York, I used to be a primary classroom teacher. Um, I moved here about five and a half years ago. And I studied at Queens with a children's rights degree. And shortly after that, I got a job with Tara in family support work, um, doing behavior and um, social interventions. Um, But now I am, uh, I do a lot of education support specifically. So that looks like a lot of things that I'm sure we'll get into. Hi, I'm Valerie. Uh, I have worked with young people for probably in and around 13 14 years i have a good bit of experience working in different sort of youth work settings uh, i've worked with young people in care i've worked in schools and um, for maybe the last seven years i've worked in family support working with young people working with families Girls, thanks very much for introducing yourselves. Um, yeah, I actually remember I was saying back in my first podcast, I had done my teaching d- degree, same thing as Sophia. Um, and actually then we've fallen into this, the education kind of roles of the job. When I started, Val was so experienced that she was always my kind of go-to. And like, Ooh, oh, Val, yeah. help, help with the admin, help with. I was always asking Val to help me with the logistics. Even I I was, that was a new city for me. I hadn't lived in Belfast before. So it was like, where am I going? What's the quickest way? All that. So thank you so much girls for just being like the best team ever. Um, And I think that actually in that kind of job, you need to have that good team spirit, don't you? It was like a great blend of like us just like, blowing off steam and like needing a space to sort of relax and unwind to like sort of like take care of ourselves but also like a place to vent and seek support as well like it but it was it needs to be on the fly it needs to be on the go it wasn't it was never formal meetings it was never like you know uh can I pencil in this time with you it was more so here who's about at this at this very minute I need to talk about this or just sharing jokes over lunch and those were those the moments we needed it was the best team ever like someday she would have been really stressed out with work and you would have come in and you would have just been able to talk about anything and get help and support off each other but other days you were coming in and you had like a personal problem and you'd be like crying on someone's shoulder about something else and it was just oh it was just the best that's going to be one of 
the highlights of my working life forever, mm. forever. And at the time, I do think we appreciated it. We did have a good time. Like with when you do work like that, when you're doing family support work, that can you imagine these families have it really tough and we're taking that energy in. Like we had a good time at the weekends, like some Fridays after work, like that's we just had to go and let off steam. Like it was just, it was so lovely. And I'll just always, always, always remember that as a very fond time. So girls, I have already covered chats with a counsellor and psychotherapist, Jack, on adult mental health and, you know, this awful time that we've been going through. And then I was chatting with my friends in England that are teachers and they are primary school teachers. So it was the younger age. Now, we were working with uh, that older age group um, of primary school and then up to kind of 14, 15. Um, so I just want to delve into what you guys are noticing or what you think is so important for that age group. What's going on? What are you seeing? What's different? You know, how this crazy year being, it's just such an awful time for things like that to happen when you're just like, remember that when you were younger and you were transitioning, your body was changing, you were fancying boys, like it's just crazy. That's exactly what I was I was just gonna say. Like, first and foremost, you have to factor in the hormones. Um, you know, we do work with boys and girls. Um, a lot of times it's it is boys, but because boys' behavior um presents a lot differently than girls' behavior. Um, so you do sometimes when you're talking to parents, you have to um, weigh out whether or not is this typical teenage boy behavior or teenage girl behavior or is this um, a little off kilter where we need to intervene a little bit more and then factor on top everything that we all collectively went through with COVID on top of just issues that are kind of going on in the house and everyone's trapped in the house everyone's trapped on top of each other um so it it, it was it was a lot to sift and sort out but we're we're coming out of the thicket now what about you Val what is, what are some of the things that you noticed um over the last say 14 months or so since all the COVID stuff um, I really find that, yeah, I mean, any issues that were already kind of going on anyway in families have just been exacerbated so much more over the last 14 months. Like we, I mean, I've always worked with kids, like as you're saying there, Sophia, like, you know, kind of general issues and, uh, you know, there's issues with hormones coming into play. Sometimes you've got diagnosis of ASD, ADHD issues of school, issues of parents, um, you know, lots of different things that you would work with, um, relationship issues, whatever. But then if you kind of factor COVID into that and everyone's locked up in the house together, there's no school, there's no clubs, there's no activities, there's no nothing going on. Everything just seems so much worse and there's like there's no distractions as well for the kids. And yeah, it's just been it's it's been tough. I don't know <laughs> if um you noticed this Val, but with some of my kids when I eventually got talking to them this is you know this is probably during the second lockdown 
where that people the hardest because we did come out of the lockdown and then we had to go back into it and people were already agitated at that stage everyone rallied together we all did it we were all in it together and then the second one it was just there's a lot more irritation a lot more um unsettledness especially with the kids but I would notice and I never thought I would hear in my life but the, the kids that hated school saying they actually can't wait to go back to school. What? Like, I had so many, I had so many kids that were like, oh, I really miss school. And I miss, you know, they, they actually missed the structure. It kind of like a lot of kind of the kids that we'd work with are sometimes routine is a bit of an issue and you're trying to put a bit of structure in people's lives. And they're like, no, I don't want the structure. I want to keep on doing things like, <laughs> you know, maybe the unhealthy way or whatever. Whereas then whenever they realize once they were in like, these lockdowns are like no I need the structure I need to go to school yeah because it's so important like that's one thing that I just feel like the whole of society needs to be restructured around that we do now know that children only thrive whenever they do have structure or when things are consistent I mean we've obviously been on training and everything for it but actually why are parents not told this straight out the bat why are we not taught this when we're maybe in secondary school so that we know that for our future life you know how important it even is for our own mental health and therefore that'll just become the norm for you in your household in your life with your children later in life and everything like to model that I really hope that if we can learn anything from lockdown like that's so good like what you're saying there children and everybody actually needs a bit of routine and a bit of stability a bit of structure yeah I mean I know especially I know the first lockdown at the first lockdown you know a lot of people were quite excited to have like some pajama days you know because everyone had a very hectic lifestyle and you know maybe before and we're like oh we're getting some pajama days happy days um but things then kind of that being out of the routine out of structure kind of escalated <laughs> longer than we all thought it would and especially then by the time we got to the second lockdown people were more fed up um couldn't be annoyed make an effort anymore and um and it was like, winter it was freezing outside yeah. you couldn't go out and do anything nobody wanted to go for a walk actually I mean I suppose sometimes maybe whenever you've been working on this line of work for kind of a long time you do kind of you kind of assume that other people know the obvious things and even like just saying to some parents that I was working with, you know, it's really important to get up really, or, you know, at the same time in the morning, you need to get dressed. Even if you're not going anywhere, you need to get your kids dressed. You need to make sure they brush their teeth. You need to make sure they wash themselves and you need to give them a breakfast, even if you're not doing anything with the rest of your day. And I actually couldn't believe like the amount of families I was working with that still weren't doing that from the, from the first lockdown. They still weren't doing that in the second lockdown. Like it sort of took somebody like maybe to say that to them and then for them to go, oh yeah, I've never thought of it like that before. You know, sometimes it's just really simple things that help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would notice that there were some instances with, with our interventions that they would take place over Zoom. I would say like that was kind of the rarity. A lot of kids do not like going on video call, especially one-to-one mm-hmm. with an adult, which is completely understandable as well. Some of these kids are brand new clients and it would be the first time we would have ever met them so I I understand but there's some parents that were great about but in that way you're also seeing a lot um you're seeing parents 
technological abilities. You're seeing um, how, you know, they're sort of able to organize and set up in the house. Is the kid like roaming around the house with like the device? Are they able to like sit? This is our designated corner where we do work. This, this is just our nook. And also, I would be looking out to see if it was three o'clock in the afternoon, if the kid was still in their pajamas. And if they are in the pajamas, that's a separate conversation with the parents because mentally it impacts you. It doesn't matter if you're having one pajama day. It doesn't matter. That's different. We're talking about months of pajama days, which is what we all had to deal with. Um, and that makes a big difference. Exactly like what Val's saying. You have to be having those conversations and really in instilling but it also like I'd also like to add you know Tara you're saying how come parents aren't getting this training but like we all know too that our parents weren't the parents that we work with weren't raised like that either and so they're just they're just winging it the way that they were raised they're like well I've made it this far this must be good enough we're really have to train parents but like it's it's um it's delicate because we're talking to parents on the phone and we have to build that relationship you can't just go in and here here are some a a couple of worksheets on how to fulfill a routine here are a couple worksheets and some reading material um on how to organize your day here's routines you know you can't it doesn't it doesn't really work like that and so it is about building relationships and asking the right questions and and it's still hard I still really I still really struggle with having like those difficult conversations yeah I would say to like you guys even before this just about how over lockdown I've realized how much I base my work on my relationship um with parents and with kids and um, and having that relationship really kind of enables me to have those difficult conversations because I've got to know them well. There's like, there's a level of trust, albeit like professional, you know, in that way. That I didn't realize how much I based my work on my relationship with parents because naturally you would be in a home and you would be getting to know the parents, you'd be getting to know the child. And that's how, that's where you get to know people and you're able to have those, those difficult conversations and kind of say things that are a wee bit kind of maybe touchy subjects and stuff whereas I found then whenever I was getting to meet people online you weren't forming the same relationship it seemed kind of like a bit top top down like as if I was like trying to teach people or something like that we weren't on the same level it was just so difficult altogether work with parents work with kids even at whole families in front of the screen especially if they're using a phone (laughs) and I'm trying to speak to like a mom and four kids it doesn't really work like that does it I mean, yeah. I would I would notice that it's either it's either or it's either you're meeting the family in person or it's the phone call. It's not the video call, you know, especially with like the generation that it is. Um, we're probably slightly younger than a lot of our parents. But sure, like I don't even FaceTime a lot of my friends. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's. It's just uncommon. And the point is to when there is a power imbalance that we're getting paid to come in and work with you. But when we're coming in on a more casual basis, they can see my body language. They can see how like I'm coming in relaxed, non-judgmental. But if I'm calling, they have nothing to work off of. They have nothing to work off of. And I think 
even more with the video call, I think that's even a bigger power imbalance because it's, it's, I, I don't really know why, but it feels I, like I, it, there is. It, it really does. I, I totally get it. You know, you do feel like, you know, in a way you, you're talking, you're talking at someone on a, on a video or something. And I'm not sure how, and I know that I tried so many different ways to make sessions fun and interactive and play games and try you know and I have to say like some of my families have engaged with me brilliantly online you know some really good outcomes other people didn't even want to try it wasn't for them and actually a lot though I would say of the guys I've worked with maybe it works for a while but like you know people talk about zoom fatigue and I think like you know, well, I've certainly had it, but I think even some of the kids I've worked with and the parents I've, I've worked with that have been on Zoom, it's worked for a certain amount of weeks. And then it's like, it goes stale. It has a specific purpose, doesn't it? Girls, I just can't even imagine it, honestly, because I do know that it is only after weeks and weeks of you going in and out and in and out of that same household that they start to relax that bit more. They start to really trust you. They start to, yeah, just relax in your company. So, wow, hats off to yours, honestly. Um, it just sounds really difficult. And you know what? I actually was reading somewhere or I heard recently that CAMS, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, are doing only over, is it call, phone calls or Zoom? Like they're not doing face-to-face. I am sorry, what the hell is that about? Yeah, I know. I think like they do, you know, I'm not completely up to date with it. It could have like, you know, changed in the last week or two for all I know. But I think last time I heard they were only seeing people face to face if it was kind of like a real emergency. And you girls know that it's not easy to do, get taken on by cans in the first place. That like I have worked with a lot of kids that I would say were experiencing what I think are real mental health difficulties and CAMS have said that they weren't. So it's really difficult to get seen by CAMS anyway. And then I think the majority of what they're doing at the minute is via telephone and online the way we're doing, which for statutory service, it's just, it's disappointing. Even whenever I was in that role, there, like none of my kids really got taken on by CAMS and like there's far, far too many referrals at the minute. And Mm -hmm. like surely now after this pandemic, there's a million more like I'm sure for even other reasons than would whenever I was there I've noticed a bit of a trend where um, the service I think is a bit oversaturated at the minute and they're doing so much work which is necessary but with diagnosis um, mm-hmm. and their work with diagnosis so that it while that is really useful um, I, I think the service can be expanded for intervention with our project with family support work we need to be multi-agency and so we cannot be the only project that is giving intervention with this young person so we're anticipating interventions with social workers we're anticipating work with comms we're anticipating school psychologists or so, like another even another intervention um service you know whatever it may be but that's what we anticipate and so sometimes i feel like if other statutory services are getting oversaturated it falls on us 
which isn't really fair because we're we are just voluntary and granted we do great work but that's not what the family needs the family needs like a full-blown approach coming from all angles do they also they also need family therapy they might also need maternal mental health support they might need parenting parenting work um but we're sort of expecting we're always trying to signpost and look how else we can develop the family because they're in in such need it's not okay for us to be the face-to-face service the only face-to-face service when we're not even statutory yeah like I mean there's been a real lack of services over lockdown as well because if you're if you're working with a family and you're going right okay this this family needs something else here like you know what we need to need somebody else involved as well and you kind of looked at what people were offering during lockdown it's like well they're just offering kind of like the same as I'm offering (laughs) you know Um, the services just weren't there and as well with respect to cans like uh, you know saying about taking on so much diagnosis like I personally feel like that's probably because there isn't enough services out there that are specifically for children with ASD and children with ADHD and um, other diagnosis so those those children come to the likes of who I work for or they come to the likes of CAMS or someone else. And, you know, really, I feel that a lot of those families need specialised services. Obviously, I know lots about those things and lots about those diagnoses, but they need, like, experts in those fields to help them. But, but, but Val, it's because we taught ourselves that. We've yeah. gone on endless trainings because we're well, ADHD, ASD, I've had to train myself what to do to help a family go through the diagnosis process. And it's like, I don't think this is what I initially signed up for. But sure, if this is what we need, we'll we'll do it. I know this sounds terrible, but there was recently a couple jobs that opened up and they sounded like really great jobs, ASD focused and the pay is so low. It's like it's entry level. And and so therefore, people who are at our expertise level, you know, whatever that may be, they're not going to go to those posts because, you know, we're working with within a certain threshold. And I know that sounds terrible, but I, I suppose I say it because this is where we need to be putting our funding. This is what those jobs need high quality workers and not just entry level people. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's not it's not just kids coming out of college we need we need more diversity in the asd and adhd when i see like those jobs advertised and things like that and i go how could someone do you know be expected to have that level of knowledge needed to help a family for that that level of exactly. pay like, I, I just I, I just don't it just doesn't add up because because obviously we know what a person would be expected to do in those roles and the high level of knowledge that you need you just kind of learn it on the job, don't you? Because I know with the likes of, say, like helping families through with diagnosis or getting, you know, issues sort of with education or getting people what they're entitled to and stuff, you kind of go in and you're working with a family and you don't you don't know either. You're kind of winging it at the start and you're going, you know, because you're like, oh, I'm not an expert in this. You learn it over time. You lift the phone and you're like, okay, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? It's because there isn't there isn't enough people kind of specifically in those jobs that like it does, it falls to the likes of us. Like Any of those really specific projects are, their waiting list is about two years long. They, they're, they're never going to take that child on when it's like so crucial right now. So yeah, we did. I remember that 
having to sit up late at night trying to go right what even is this because I have this meeting in the school tomorrow about this child or whatever so I taught myself all that I I even was I remember I was taking families to their assessments and everything like I think social workers way back maybe, maybe whenever we were younger they had a lot more input they were a lot more uh in homes and things and now they are literally overran with paperwork so then it is coming down to the voluntary services like we're well that I was in with you your girls and that you're working in but then now you're saying that those specialized services that really they need to be highly paid because if they're going to go and get trained in that they're actually getting even worse money so they're not going to be really highly skilled or are these children going to get the help that they actually need? Like, it's just awful. When is it going to change? I do feel like that we are a bit in our line of work, a little bit forgotten about in the line of things. I mean, not to kind of downplay, downplay like other professionals totally deserve their pay, but, you know, they've got like structure, you know, you've got like a teacher or something and it's like a profession and it has a certain level with it I think about the kind of the amount of work we do and the level of expertise that we have to have for a role kind of gets a bit forgotten about. We also had intense training on the ACEs so the adverse childhood experiences on inner child work on intergenerational trauma so much like amazing I absolutely loved those training days I was like a complete nerd sat with my notebooks and pens like absolutely loving it and just couldn't get enough of it but then it's so like that is not what we went and did at college for like three four years so it's really hard to then bring that to the parents and say okay this is the work we're going to do it was really hard as a family support worker like they had so many different it was had to be so versatile to then try and implement them things with the families like that's why it does need to be those spe- specialized projects but actually is there even like girls is there maybe neither is but is there even a specific project in northern ireland that is for say families that have intergenerational trauma do you know what there i mean like there's the trauma center and stuff there there is there are things like that around but to be honest i think but i, I don't know what level you need to be to be taken on by something or what you have to Like I think, Sophia, would you know, over in the States, I'm pretty sure like that's a big focus and they really are on that. I know in Australia as well, like my friend Claire is, she's working in social work kind of roles over there and it's really like big. They're hot on all this, like all the research and all the training that we were getting, like there's actual centers and places to go for that kind of therapeutic work. The thing is with me in in the States, I would have seen it all just being displayed in the classroom, you know, so to say that there's those services, they probably are, but they never made it. They never made it to the kids. They never made it to the schools. And maybe it is in certain pockets in certain areas. I used to work in um, a socioeconomically deprived neighborhood in, uh, in New York City. And you would think that we would have been flooded with services or flooded with just like extra supports. And we never, I I never saw anything. And I don't, I don't really know why that is. 
So while I do think there's a lot of research and there is a lot of work being done, how much it's really being trickled down on from like a grassroots level, I, I can't really speak to that. Although I know there is the research being done and there is the work being done. It's not across the board. I kind of find that here though as well. Do you know whenever, you know, money gets pumped into certain communities and whatever, like I, I don't feel like a lot of people see the benefit of it. Like you kind of, you know, there's people that will actively in a community that are very get up and go people and like brilliant. That, that's fab. You know, they'll get up and they'll, they'll, they'll seek support. They'll know what's going on in their communities. And those are the guys that will make use of what's, what, what's there and, you know, they'll be okay. But there's, there's like there's hard to reach families and hard to reach young people that mm. that are the people that really really need that that support um that aren't going to actively go and seek something out and I think sometimes those are the guys that really need the help and that they they it never felt there's down to them. That is that's exactly that's exactly mm-hmm. it. You, you said a key thing that like who's seeking that out? Even just the mm-hmm. term intergenerational trauma. One of the key features that we have here is the family support hub. So if you are a service and you really want to promote intergenerational trauma work, your key would be to go to the family support hub and say, like, look out for families where this is being evidenced in your interventions. So for example, right now I, I could be working with a family and, you know, I get a, I get a referral for the young person. He's presenting all these things. Um, he was getting tested for ADHD. He tested out of it. He doesn't have ADHD. So then what does that tell me? There's clearly a lot of sensory issues. There's probably trauma. I go to, I go home, I chat to mom, opens up the floodgates and you're talking about like serious trauma mm. from, from childhood and then guess what on my next on my next visit on my next meeting I I meet her mom I meet granny and granny's coming in and what is she telling me that her anxiety is through the roof she also told me then the daughter also told me then oh yeah sure mom used to beat me well and here we are, you're getting, it's just passed down and passed down. But is, yeah. am I as the worker and do I have the language to say, oh, this, this would be great intergenerational trauma work. I should bring this to the family support hub. And here I am now getting multi-agency, just children's services and family services should be having in general. But we are, and Val, you know this too, we are putting out fires you know, mm-hmm. we're just dealing what whatever yeah. is like in front of us, like at the at the minute. And so sometimes we do, we can lose sight of what other services are actually available to us. I think a lot of those kind of real specialized services work at, like I said, tier three level, um, which would be, you know, you'd need to need to be working at a social services level to get a lot of to get a lot of those things but actually like you know those services should be or above tier three even tier four you could be talking you know kids in care whatever the mm-hmm. higher you go whereas actually a lot of that is needed really at early intervention to stop that from ever getting to that point yeah. that is just all so so interesting i'm sure for people that haven't really worked in this field like they will be maybe even a bit shocked to know that that is the case or 
maybe people that you know they're just so oblivious to what is really going on for some of our families here in Northern Ireland especially like the crux of it is we are dealing with a lot of past generational trauma because of our past and that is not going to go away anytime soon that's really difficult um you know that's it did come up in a couple of my last podcasts but then we are we're out in them community trying to I suppose clear up the debris that is passed down to the youngest people in society now and it's bloody hard it is hard and like you say we are having to try and go back to okay well actually let's see what's going on for mum what's going on for dad is dad even around is he in jail where is he um then then you're saying like grandma so oh she actually was involved in this that the other she's highly anxious because of her past of course these children are coming up through and this is happening and so like you say it doesn't have to be the higher tiered um services or that they've been finally recognized by a social worker it's literally our general children now in northern ireland especially after this lockdown after that last year every single child i think in school now it needs everything just needs to be stopped and right we need to really focus every single week on your mental health on how you can make you feel better on how we're not we're going to stop this right now in its tracks this needs to stop no more generations are going on feeling i think that so much anxiety that children are facing has been learned from their parents and from granny and it just gets passed down and down and down in society you know where kind of there is so so much mental health around and children really learn um, and pick up cues from their parents so if mum gets stressed very easily about things then child gets stressed very easily about things if mum gets angry quite easy and shouts and you know kind of can maybe be a bit irrational sometimes because she's struggling with her mental health then that's that's how child learns to deal with you know with their emotions because that's what they learn from parents so and, and, and it is you know even things don't have to be like really massive child protection issues to be like intergenerational issues it's just things that have been passed down and learned from generation to generation and you know those can kind of really manifest themselves and like children not expressing their emotions in the correct way and you know possibly becoming really quite angry and you know destructive and you know lots of kind of negative behaviors can come out from that yeah and Val it's not even just the learned behaviors it's also then what the parent or family members or the older people in the family what are they doing then to help themselves or to model for them teenagers like if the parent their coping mechanism is hitting the drink or is taking the sleeping tablets or is getting really angry and shouting of course those teenagers that we were working with they're as soon as they're able to or as soon as they have access to they are going to be wanting to seek out alcohol they're going to be wanting to start smoking they're going to be wanting to oh experiment what what is that the mom takes that makes her fall asleep on the sofa like this is what's happening right now and it is definitely definitely way way more families that's happening especially 
families that they maybe didn't have that many issues or they were curbed in the past because they were hard working and they didn't have that much time to get out and drink and stuff. And then now they were stuck at home, working from home, maybe starting to open the bottle way sooner. And now it's not just those families that we, you know, was very prevalent in lower socioeconomic areas. It's now across the board. Absolutely. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, it's been highlighted just the um, increase in domestic violence and things like that since the pandemic as well. And, you know, with the decrease in services going into people's homes, there'll be so much Mm -hmm. that hasn't been picked up. Like, I mean, we are just not aware of half of what has been going on with the families that we've been working with. And, you know, that's, you know, that is a worry. Um, Like, but also as well, like talking about, you know, lockdowns and stuff and, I would have worked with like lots of families that are so anxious over COVID and and things like that, like like really really anxious and scared of people, scared to go outside, scared to open the door, scared to open a window, and passing that that fear of getting sick, that fear of death down to their down to their child because, you know, well my 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 parents think that you know if I go and speak to someone or if I interact with someone that I could cause someone to die, um. Well, then, you know, what, what does that do for, you know, a child or teenager that's still learning? You know, what does that, that do for them socially and their anxiety? It's just it. No, just and and also then if the anxiety is that extreme, that tells you a lot, too, that the anxiety was always present. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times it doesn't just pop out of, you know, it doesn't pop out of nowhere if the anxiety is this extreme. Um, in its response to COVID and, you know, obviously it's, you know, it's a looming threat. Obviously um, there's a lot going on in terms of anxiety and fear and control prior to this as well. But now it's something concrete that we could have, we could latch on to. Yeah. How are you finding that now that are you allowed to go back at least even to garden visits or to actually face to face? You know, how are you finding that? What is the difference now after this crazy year for your families or your kids that you're working with? Um, I am doing a bit of mixture in my work Um, still a little bit online, trying to be outdoors as much as possible. I would say, yeah, um, I'm in my work. I'm making a face. A, a phased return to face-to-face work. I a phased return as in you cannot get me back to face-to-face work quick enough. I am so sick of Zoom and trying to engage with people over Zoom. I am like literally wanting to break the rules every two seconds and be like, no, I want to go back to normal. I want my my normal job back. But yeah, I mean, and I have to say, um, since um that sort of bit of a return to face-to-face work, I have seen so many benefits within just a very short amount of weeks so much has come out in my conversations with young people and with parents as well and like I've learned maybe in the last you know two weeks so much about my families than I have done maybe in like the three months before that or four months before more online um just just in uh, just a matter of you know going to say hello to someone and just kind of people opening up to you so quickly yeah absolutely I notice um well for for me 
I, our organization for children's services in the project specifically that I am, our funders came back to say pretty much from March, it's mandatory that we are seeing our clients face to face um, and our clients being the young people that we are to prioritize. So we have become officially an essential service for these young people. And so kind of going back just to touch on um, the fact that comms isn't um, essential to be face to face was a bit of a surprise to us um, because I am in school um, with all my clients going to see all of them every week face to face and similar to Val, it's been um, amazing. The kids are happy to see us. They work really well with us. Um, there is more like concrete work to be done, you know, instead of like calling every week and trying to like create, you know, how, how are things going this week? Oh, you know, the same. Yeah. Because life is exactly the same. It's just, it's groundhog day over and over, you know? So now that like kids are back into like their quote, quote, natural environments where, you know, their behaviors and their relationships are moving back into their normal realm the kids haven't changed that much they're going to fall back into their old patterns um and so when i am engaging the kids in their intervention work it's proper work you know it's working on the things that we've always would have worked on you can go back to the parents and have conversations like oh i noticed this what what have you seen it's like oh yeah no i'm i'm seeing this too and it's more it's more concrete but even from like the school end um, it's always nice going back into a school and they are delighted to see you. They are delighted to have the support um, because schools are really, I, I find that I think a lot of schools are really struggling with trying to transition kids back into um, normal school after having re- not really been in it the start of the, the pandemic. Um, How do you and- think the schools are finding it? Have you found that they are really have they you know is it obvious that they've had good training around this are they doing anything differently to really help the kids mental health I really noticed that it's um every school is so different um and I don't know if that's like the way it always has been in life but or is it more now because like I have a unique position to go into so many schools that like is there has there always been so much inconsistency across the board because the way every school functions is completely different some schools they really promote a well-roundedness a a nurturing environment you know they'll have the sensory rooms um they have like a space that like an interventionist comes in um and then other schools like is mayhem actual mayhem the kids are just wandering around they're literally running around the hallways my last intervention I had to do in a school auditorium on like a bench because there was no space for us um and obviously when a kid has um ADHD not having a proper environment to do work is you're not you're not going to get get much done but another trend that I'm I'm noticing is this limited timetable for young people and I question it because it is meant to be a short-term intervention that the schools can implement but because we are in sort of like a short term anyway with COVID you know like 
kids are off here and there um, and we only have a couple months left of school where the kids are literally going home at lunch. I would say half of the clients that I work with because they cannot cope in the school, the teachers cannot cope. And instead of doing formal suspensions or anything of the like, I don't, I don't really know, but the, the limit, the amount of my kids that are on a limited timetable is pretty wild. And it's major strain on the parents. Major strain. Yeah. And I know that whenever they put kids on those, um, you know, reduced timetables for a while, it's usually meant to be a short term thing. And it's usually just to help with a particular issue. But I have very, in my experience, it's never a short term thing. And as soon as, you know, reduced timetables are talked about, I'm just like, oh, no, is there is there anything else we can do or something? Because it, they've just always stayed then. Those reduced timetables have never worked. They've never worked the way they were meant to. I mean, maybe they do. Maybe that's just my experience of the or worse, in my experience, they went from, oh, we're going to cut it down to half days to then they can just come in for like an hour here and there because their behavior, which I just thought was ridiculous. But So then the amount of meetings I was having to hold in schools, bringing the parent to advocate for that parent because they just they, they think, oh, well, the school knows best. No, they don't always. How dare they reduce the child's schooling by that much that they I had one child actually that was allowed to go walk in wave to their class and then was sent back home they got dressed in their uniform went in just waved to the class and they went back because the school could not deal with their behavior with their 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 highly anxious behaviors really and so that was what the school said was fine and what was happening and parents just accept that because they think, oh, well, they're teachers. They are maybe more highly skilled than me. Like they know best. They don't always know best. And, you know, I used to be a teacher myself. And like I've already said in one of my pa- pa- podcasts, that's why I left because I just do not agree with what's going on in schools at the minute. If this is not just a priority for schools and teachers to finally realize like children's mental health, children's needs their like they need to be nurtured they need to be kind of encompassed as you said before about uh being all-rounded individuals rather than just right let's get this lesson done and get out the door that that can't happen anymore it just makes me so sad I, I noticed too that the majority of kids the teenagers that I work with um you know I ask like a series of questions to and it's usually like the same questions like across the board just because it gives me a sense of the climate if you know what I mean so one of the types of questions that I I I would ask is what's one thing you would change about school is there anything more or less of and it's the number one response is their issue with the teachers every single one of them would say and that's that's significant it's not even what I'm learning uh, it's not even like being bullied or my peers as an adult, as a teacher, hearing that it's really disheartening because we really have to take a minute to step inside the kids' shoes. And now that I have this um, privilege of doing this job, when I was formerly a teacher, and Tara, you can like testify to this, it's night and day. You know, like as a teacher, I was like, okay, I know exactly what I need to do. Um, I, it's it's very by the book. It's curricular plans and all that and I and I do accept that but when I was a teacher in New York I also recognized that there were so many kids 
coming in to my room that I, I would just look at them being like, I, I don't know what to do here because I need to teach you division. But I also know that you just spent the night in a hostel. So what am I, what am I to do here? I feel for teachers. I'm very empathetic, but we need to do better and we need to figure out how we can do better, not even just for the kids, but how can we make the teachers' lives easier as well? They're not doing it out of badness. No teacher is acting in a way that they're like, oh no, I'm going to make this kid's life so difficult right now. Of course, that's not the case, but it's obviously a, a systematic issue. This is not one school. This is multiple schools. We're talking about this as like a project. What do we do here? Do you, sometimes like though, you know, there's teachers that are brilliant with that sort of thing. And, you know, ones that, you know, kind of don't like to focus focus so much on children's emotional well-being or pastoral care. And and of course, teachers are there to teach. I get that they're teachers. They're there to teach. They're there to, they're there to educate. But I've dealt with a lot of teachers that have just said, I'm not here to deal with this. It, that's not my job. I'm here to teach. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, you know, you're not going to get to teach unless you have the pastoral side in order as well. And you're looking after the kids' emotional well-being. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether or not I don't know if the teachers need to do like mandatory training in those sorts of things. I don't think they do. Maybe they should or. I don't know how it works here, but when I was teaching in New York, it, it was obviously very stressful and it was a bit controversial, but yearly there were teacher evaluations and the principal had to come around and there was a whole uh, criteria that they had to check off to make sure that I was demonstrating that in visibly during one of my lessons and they can just pop in at any moment so if one of the criteria were what is my communication like with the with the young person um how am i engaging all pupils how am i um, able to promote a nurturing environment i had to demonstrate all that so Yes, I understand that while some teachers might hold that attitude, again, it's a systematic issue because it's the principal's problem that he needs to ensure that his staff are fall or her staff are falling in line with a nurturing environment. Half the teenagers that I work with, another question that I ask them is, when was the last time you really enjoyed school? And I would say, I would, I would say probably 90% of them would say primary school. And we all know why. Primary is so nurturing. It's very group oriented. There's more play integrated into the day, especially compared to secondary. You know, we're still buttoned up in our uniforms. We're still sitting one by one, dead silence in the classroom, all that. And like, that's not conducive to life and learning. And so no wonder why the majority of the kids, the last time they actually enjoyed school was in primary school, P7. And here I am talking to year 10 kids. Sophia, did you actually tell me in the past before that in America, they actually don't even wear uniform? Oh yeah, no. I, I think the whole uniform thing is just, it's so, it's so alien to me. Um, I, a lot of the kids that I work with would um, present with sensory issues and they really struggle being in a uniform. Although I will say I have definitely noticed coming up lockdown, a lot of schools have relaxed. With- no, my sister was going in. She never, ever wore her school skirt 
she was in trainers the entire time when she went back in after the lockdowns and hopefully that does mean that schools have noticed okay these children have been through a lot like that is something that nobody else in this century will have to deal with in their school time so we need to go a bit easy on them or we need to give them a bit of break a bit of slack here hopefully so that means you know I'm really hopeful for uh, maybe over the summer break or over the next few months or whatever that there will be maybe specialists in mental health that will make projects or will make little programs for teachers to come back in September and get really good training and that pastoral care will just become a norm throughout the schools. No, Val, you had asked, is that part of the training? It absolutely is. That is you're told, number one, you need to be nurturing. You need to create that like awe and wonder and absolutely happy environment for kids. So that's never, that's why I never stayed in a school job because I just couldn't believe that there was so many teachers that that wasn't how they were like whenever you were chatting about that Sophia it just made me think about my friend works for another community organization um but it's actually with homeless young people and she had sent me a little link the little guy he had a really difficult childhood and then was in care for his teenage years and he's on this little it's just a short podcast as well it's on Spotify but it's like 17 minutes and he's amazing I think he's only 17 or 18 yeah I really highly recommend to go and have a little listen I was listening to it just before we came on this chat and he actually because of bullying at school because of anxiety because of his sexual orientation he actually during them lockdowns tried to commit suicide 17 times he was hospitalized for suicide attempts 17 times is this like this is what's happening our teenagers now because they just cannot cope like remember even back to being a teenager you needed your friends you needed to see people you you needed like to feel like you're part of a gang it's just awful Absolutely. Um, You really thrive and you form your identity in those social environments. And like, like, it is normal to go through your moody teenage years, but you have your other moody teenage friends to sort of validate. And if you're like, consistently in an existence that's isolated, you, you feel misunderstood. You don't feel represented. Yeah, are you finding that with a lot of your young people then now? I mean, you're you're generally doing community work. So in comparison to the last podcast I had done with the the girls that are teachers in school and they're only really seeing them in the classroom, are you seeing that? Or do you know that yet? Like if you haven't really been at the houses that much, they need that camaraderie, they need that friendship they need to be out and about on their bikes or like just out and about with some young people that I worked with and some of the other guys you know, we made plans with the guys we were working with and uh, you know about okay you know how many times you like okay I'm going to speak to my friends every day I think you should speak to your friends every day you're going to go out on your bike every day 
um, maybe you should meet your friends at the shop every Friday. And I kind of came up with plans, like well-being plans for some of the kids that I work with because they were just kind of so flat. I know that obviously there was a time that we weren't we weren't supposed to see anyone, but it was like, no, I'm like worried about this child's mental health. I am encouraging them to go out for a walk with their friends or I am encouraging them to do things because I am so worried about. So, yeah, like it was definitely something that I integrated into my work. Like, you know, what are some of the things that you have to do every day? to keep your well-being okay well what are some of the things that you need to do twice a week you know to keep your well-being there once a week or once a fortnight like you know and come up with like little plans and lists of things to keep people well always right up there was going out on your bike seeing your friends brilliant see exactly and that's why services like that is just so crucial and so important did you watch the roman kemp documentary where he actually came to belfast and was interviewing little guys in Belfast. Like they were only maybe like 14 and one of their friends had taken his own life. Oh gosh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, you have to watch it. Like I even know the park that he was walking in with the kids Mm -hmm. and some kids, especially if their home life isn't great, like that was actually, a lot of them felt like that's the only option. And that's what is the big, that's what's the most worrying thing to me. Absolutely. I think for our young boys that that's not, it's not been modeled to them. They don't want to seem like weak in front of anybody. So that's actually what they, that's the only option for them. You know, I know it's so sad. I think it's great that like the sports and stuff has started again. Like I know some of the, especially teenage boys that I would have worked with, like, you know, they don't want to do like a little, a nice little program and this and that and like a little happy clappy thing. You know, they want to kind of appear a bit more macho or whatever. And kind of being in a football team or like, a, say, like a boxing club or like MMA or something is kind of their thing. And that's their go to. And that is extremely important for their mental health and an outlet for them for uh, if they are feeling anxious or angry or emotional about something as well. And it is it is really good to see those starting up again and I've, it's, I found it's really helped me my job as well to be able to encourage people to do things because for a while you were just kind of like you know you had these people with all these issues and like you know as a worker you know we kind of have a little toolbox nearly of like things that we would suggest to people and there was just kind of like for a while there was just like nothing there it was like I don't know how to help this person because like the world has shut down yeah it, it seems to be getting hopefully fingers crossed and moving forward getting better I'd also like to point out too, that is really the privilege of living in a city or bigger towns. Yeah. Um, some of the some of the young people that I work with with would live in really rural areas. And mm-hmm. so they can't really just hop on a bike and go see their friends. Um, they can't really just go get involved in like a local MMA or or anything like that without the parents driving 20 minutes to get there like when you're asking a parent to drive 20 minutes like that's that's commitment on the parent end and that's assuming there's only one kid involved and that's assuming well. that the parent can even drive exactly that's so true actually yeah on you know the the rural need as well you know because that's what I noticed you know Belfast obviously we have so many so many resources but 
around us you know there's one family I was working with and I was like he really needs to be involved in some social things and I'm looking around I'm like there's actually nothing there's actually nothing at that time when you're a teenager like you don't want to hang out with your parents all the time you don't want to even hang out with your siblings that's when you get a bit weird and a bit like moody and a bit like it's scientific your hormones are going crazy like it's uncool to be out walking with your family like are you finding that your referrals are just off the charts now is it even worse now than whenever I was working with you a few years ago ours were really 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 bad for a long time there um they're under control now but for a while yeah, they were because of the pandemic. I mean, is yeah, that really affected? Yeah, I think so. And and as well, I know that like we're seeing more referrals for like kind of things that are pandemic related, like you know, social issue, like social isolation, and kind of maybe issues of people falling out of the routine or poor mental health. But maybe it's mentioned on the referral, like it's being specific to the pandemic or like kind of the normal issues that kind of we would normally receive referrals for. But it just kind of mentions on on the referral that things have worsened over the pandemic and they've got to a stage where they've become unmanageable for people that maybe don't know or that they are maybe in completely different roles what kind of issues is it that you know is you're saying the general issues is now exasperated what Mm. are those general issues it can be lots it can be anything really um just kind of any kind of family or child or whatever that is in need in some kind of way so um it can be something at home you know it can be so it can be to do with behavior or routine or it can be your individual so it could be your self-esteem your identity you could be feeling anxious could be maybe causing a bit of trouble out in the community could be issues with friendships you maybe you're not going to school you're not enjoying school behavior in school I don't like I swear like jack of all trades um is my role and my job <laughs> so and like it's parenting work it's kids work it's work with families it's it's working alongside other agencies schools everything <laughs> yeah that is why it's so versatile but so interesting and you're kept on your toes and I think that's why I loved it to be honest yeah you're learning something new every bloody day aren't you yeah and like you have to like I mean people say whenever you go in and work with a a family you know to go in and you know you create the work plan around them obviously and their needs um you know because it has to be meaningful to them and what they want but like you know you literally couldn't do it any other way because every family you work with is completely individual and is completely different and there's no way you could ever go in with like a one size fits all oh here's my program on this and this is what you're going to do and then your life's going to be perfect because like it absolutely doesn't work like that and everything needs tailored to individuals and and even then you know it's it's baby steps towards improvement and it's fighting works and it's trial and error um and it's kind of just supporting people along the way yeah I know it's such good work that you're doing girls I take my hats off to you because I did I loved it but it also definitely I, I burnt out I burnt myself out doing it as well you know I just cared too much no, I just loved all the kids so much I loved their mom too much. I was always like I was like Tara you need to forget about it when you go home because like it's, it's okay like you know just for, think about it in the morning I think you do really really need to be good at switching off you know? 
the crux of that work as well, isn't it? That you're trying to get the family to a point of being able to start to be self-aware to be able to help themselves you don't want to get that codependency that was all something that I had to learn very quickly in that role because if you just do everything for them or if you do all the phone calls to the school or you do all the meetings then the parents are never going to learn those skills or they're never going to get confidence to do that so is that what are you finding that that's now you're nearly having to redo things that you were already getting there with before the pandemic hit I would find that it's nearly trying to really assess what's go what is going on and like Val said earlier it's really the relationship is absolutely key and it's about how you're questioning things and it's how you're able to frame a scenario so maybe the parent sees it in a different way so for example um I might listen to like a whole rant like how you know me like one of the moms that I I'm currently working with she could be telling me everything but what am I listening out here out here for it's oh she's she's overwhelmed you know and it's like okay well, let's talk about how we can have um stricter boundaries within our relationships oh wow it sounds like you put other people um first before yourself what could you do differently this week and so it's like you said it is getting them a bit aware of what's going on but that is like one of the most satisfying things when they come back to you and then they tell you it's like guess what I did I I I said no to this situation I'm I'm taking myself away for like a spa weekend and it's like thank you first and foremost you know one one interesting thing that I've I've heard is you have to take care of yourself enough adults need to take care of themselves enough so that children don't need to take care of them take care of you for you and so I really believe in that sort of trickle down aspect of um intervention where it's like yeah I know this is like the work I'm doing with the child but like if I can get a parent to feel more in control have more autonomy uh, have more independence more confidence that is, the the child's gonna feel that immediately the child yeah, is gonna reap the benefits of that yeah, yeah if, the, I, if the parent is modeling that and is modeling, look, mommy actually just needs to go off for five minutes and drink my coffee and chill. Like, I'm just feeling a bit of a sore head coming on, I'm getting a bit stressed out. And then if the child learns, like, oh, that's okay for me to do that, isn't that so amazing? Like, that sounds so simple, but that's the kind of thing that you actually need to tell a parent over and over and over you need to be modeling this for the child to know it's okay to go off and maybe punch a pillow in your bedroom and come back and say, this is what I'm feeling. Or I just felt a bit angry there. I'm over it now. And that is, that's actually like the simple, that's the simplest kind of example from our work that it is, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, I always encourage parents to like say, you know, go 
do group once a week, you know, go to a gym even once a week. I know parents are busy, you know, they don't have time, you know, you hear a lot, oh, I don't have time because I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, it, it's a lot. It's like, okay, well, when do you make time for you? And, you know, you have to or else or else you're not going to be able to parent properly. It's It's so important. How many times do I say you have to fill up your own cup first? I know. And also, like, obviously parenthood is a sacrifice but does it does it have to be like the ultimate sacrifice where you completely give up every aspect of yourself for your child no what are you actually doing for yourself because guess what like you're like a lot of our a lot of the people we work with even a lot of the people we know like they're adults but like are they mature like no we're all constantly like evolving we're all constantly growing just because you have a child doesn't mean that work stops, you know? And so getting um, a parent to see that they have a lot of value and their confidence is important, their mental health is important. And not only will your whole, like your child benefit, but your whole family will as well. Exactly, because your whole environment, your whole home is gonna be way more comfortable, easy sailing the communication will flow better you'll be more open you'll be just in a much more well I suppose what we were chatting about before the nurturing kind of environment um do you think that if our so the parents that you know you're saying about if they start to model that if they have been taught this kind of stuff say in secondary school would that just be a norm now do you think is this the way to go do you think our teenagers of today need to start learning these little simple tools in school or when they are younger so then that does filter into the rest of their lives yeah I think the beauty is like social media as well so a lot of kids like would know to go to YouTube to find um like a certain relaxation video or they might listen to like you know something like relaxing um when they're when they are feeling heightened so I do think that our kids our kids are probably getting those messages more so from social media influencers than they probably are getting from an institution like the school or they're getting from um the home because parents uh like really we're we're probably of the generation that's on the ball in terms of like communicating and verbalizing mental health language like recently my dad sent me and my sisters like like a mental health like meme and I was like oh my god that's so cute dad like you're in your 60s like I can't believe you like never once has he ever said anything about mental health and here he is but he what he's doing is he's screenshotting things that he's seeing on his like little cute instagram account that he follows with a couple of his friends so like if that's my dad getting those messages imagine what our kids are getting you know and so i do believe that our kids are getting the the messages they are getting more of the language and the awareness and the acknowledgement about mental health even like with like special needs and there's discussions around it. They more have more access than any other generation prior. Um, what they need 
aside from is like the acknowledgement and like the information is more opportunities to practice and school is a perfect place because it's already set up for them you can anticipate it um the home is another environment where that should be fostered so getting those experiences to be real for them outside of just like a scroll on social media is like the next step isn't it I totally agree because we're always telling kids oh social media is not real like that picture's not real everything you see on Instagram isn't real we tell that to kids so that you know they don't become like feel bad about you know they're looking at certain images or whatever but like actually then you know there is a lot of positivity on social media with regards to mental health at the minute as, as well um but we do need to see that kind of rolled out maybe to schools. And as you say, Sophia, school is a perfect place. And, you know, at home with parents, um, you know, things like, um, you know, being fine, mindful med- meditation or different, you know, deep breathing, d- different sorts of methods of how to stay calm, talk about your emotions, actually need to be just kind of become okay to be part of everyday life and normal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Kind of a bit of a side note. What do you girls think? If I, you know, in my head at the minute, I do have all these ideas flying around. Obviously, you know, I'm quite into my holistic healing and stuff. Do you think it would be like a good idea to try and make a bit of a, some kind of a family group or family project, at least, that maybe it's all about getting out in nature, doing like little nature trails and stuff, using essential oils like really teaching that to not just the parents to then try and filter it down, but literally as a family project, like would that be helpful if I, you know, if I was, yeah. And kind of like nature and actually doing things, practical things. Um, I don't think that I get to do enough of it in in my job, but I used to maybe with, with, with other jobs and stuff. Um, I, I just find it so beneficial. Yeah. I think that sounds class. I think what families, I think families have a deficiency in experience due to so much of like the stress that they carry. And so a lot of times like parents, they might be able to like get out once in a while, but is it maybe in an environment that you like, that's like nearly like coached into? Um, I think something like that would be really beneficial and like a full family it helps with bonding it helps with like experiences we want families get get out there you know really like live their lives as well yeah exactly that's what my thought was like maybe I could be having really casual kind of meetups and then we can all make like essential oils together at the end and like as a, as a family they're smelling the different scents they're like sharing around you know like really making it quite fun and social but also it is going to be therapeutic it's going to actually be a tool that they can then use later down the line so yeah like would you think that could be a kind of thing that you would be referring to like you know is that a service that you'd be like oh please come into our project and do this with our families yeah I don't I don't see why not of course I mean like what what we need is more diverse projects more diverse experiences um what we some of what we have works some of what we have doesn't work and there's no harm in trying something different that you think might suit a family 
Yeah, because not every child is into sport or into, they don't have a hobby or anything. So if this is like something, like a little healing tool that they can make up and know that their whole family is using one as well then it might just be a bit more of a norm in the home and then therefore in society whoa girls like I think we have covered so much I mean we could actually go there's like even a lot more issues that we could cover but I think for the general public that is going to be enough for them to at least think and stew over and maybe have a conversation with their family, have a conversation with their teachers. Um, so thank you so, so, so much, girls. You were so insightful and I just loved that conversation. Thanks oh, thank you, us, Sarah. Sarah. Thanks for having us.